Well, this evening we're turning God's Word to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, please. And we're going to read from verse 17 through to verse 26. So Luke chapter 5. And Lord, exercise my soul to this portion in the prayer meeting on Thursday evening. So it's good to get the Word from the Lord in the prayer meeting. And so we trust the Lord will bless it for the glory of His great name. So Luke chapter 5, please. And the verse 17, that's here, the Lord's Word. And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal, heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed, a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, Him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Amen. And we trust the Lord will bless his word to all. You have heard it. Let's bow in prayer, please. And let's just take another few moments to still ourselves, praying as God's people, that the Lord will take the word and he will use it tonight, even the salvation of the lost. So let's pray. Our gracious God, eternal Father, as conscious as ever of thy help, uh, Lord, I need it. Uh, Lord, and I come to thee and I pray that thou would forgive me of my sin, confessing that I need the cleansing from my daily defilement in the blood of the Lamb. We thank the Lord that you have promised to, uh, Lord, cleanse us, and to forgive us, and to wash us in the Savior's blood. We thank thee that his blood does and will keep on availing. We thank the Lord for the power that's in the precious blood of the Lamb. And we thank the Lord that we can uh, now, Lord, by faith, claim the promised Holy Ghost knowing that Thou will give the Spirit to them that ask of Thee. By faith, we simply cry to Thee as Thy people, that Thou would send forth the Spirit to take the Word which Thou hast given, that He would apply it. Yes, the preacher, he must use application in the delivery of his message. He can only reach the mind, 
Lord, you are the one who can reach and penetrate right into the very depths of the heart. And we pray, O oh God, that thou wilt single sinners out tonight, search them out with the searchlight of heaven and eternity, put the focus upon them. May they not shrug it off to someone else down the pew, upstairs or downstairs. Lord, may, Lord, individuals consider their standing before thee. We pray, O oh God, that thou wilt work upon their souls. Bring them through for the glory and honor of thy great name. Hear prayer and accept of our thanks. For this we ask in the Savior's precious and his worthy name. Amen. Life can be pretty monotonous. It's filled with schedules and routines. Children, they have their school days, and adults, they have their work. Lunch and evening tea, well, they are eating at the same time every day. And when this is the case, there is a tendency for the days to blur into unmemorable insignificance. It's really when something unusual or strange or out of the norm happens that it sticks in the mind. Now, I remember, now I can't actually remember if I've told you this story or not, but I remember the day when on the farm we found a man that was sleeping in our barn. And he came walking into the yard and he asked for a cup of coffee. He was an Eastern European and he had moved here uh, to find some work. He was an auto electrician. And as I spoke to him in the yard and ascertained that the night before he slept, in the middle of the Castle Dawson roundabout. And as I spoke to him, I says, well, what was that experience like? Was it not cold? And he answered me, and how he answered me, it really has stuck with me. And it was something like this. He says, I don't mind, for it is those days and nights that you remember. It is the unusual experiences that will stay with you throughout your life. That is true. It's the strange, it's the unusual, it's the extraordinary that makes the impression upon the mind. And that's exactly what we find in these verses. Now there is parallel accounts, are parallel accounts in Matthew chapter 9 and Mark chapter 2. From Mark we can establish that this happened early in the Savior's public ministry. And Matthew seems to indicate that it happened after Christ returned from the country of the Gadarenes. It's a Mark's account that we find that this occurred in Capernaum, which Matthew describes as Christ's own city. See, Capernaum had become his hometown since they had tried to kill him in Nazareth, and we read about that in Luke chapter 4. And so he took up his residence in the town of Capernaum, which was at the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. It was the largest city on the lake and was a crossroads of major trade routes. It had the receipt of custom. A Roman garrison was stationed there. It was a prosperous, bustling town, and its main industry was fishing. It was the hometown of Peter and his family. But now we have to say, it lies in ruins. It metaphorically sets forth and bears testimony to the fact of those who reject Jesus Christ, they too will be brought down into hell. Now by this stage, Christ's fame was spreading abroad, so much so 
But we find that Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees and the doctors of the law, sometimes called the scribes or the lawyers, well, they had come from all over Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem to Capernaum to evaluate Christ, to hear Him, really to indict Him, to get rid of Him. We find in verse 17 that He was teaching. He was teaching in the house. And the Lord Jesus came preaching and teaching. And what He taught was salvation and redemption and the means by which God can forgive sin. This was the Savior's pattern. And we read here at the end of verse 17, And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. This is noted because there were others there, not just the religious leaders, but there were those who were afflicted, there were those who were sick and suffering. Now in verse 18 we read these words, And behold, there's an arresting phrase. What happens next is what the Holy Ghost would have us to focus our minds upon, to set the eye of our mind upon what is happening in the following verses, and we're going to consider them under the heading, A Day of Strange Things. Now, I trust that for you, today will be a day of strange things, a day that will live long in the memory, because the power of the Lord is present to heal. Now, the first thing I want to bring to your attention is the man that was brought. The man that was brought, wherever Christ was teaching, he drew a crowd. And within that crowd, there were lots of people who had physical problems, and they came to him for healing. You read of men. Four men, according to Mark's gospel. And it tells us here, they're carrying a man upon a portable bed, which was taken with a palsy. Here was a man who was paralyzed. He was not mobile. This was not a man who simply needed a little bit of help. This wasn't a man who needed another couple of men to come alongside him and take him by the arms and help him with his faltering steps. No, this was a man who was lying upon a bed, which indicates that he of himself was powerless and helpless to get to the Lord Jesus. The verb that's translated here, taken with, taken with a palsy, is in the perfect tense, and this pictures the permanent condition of this man. It was not something that came and went. It was not something that uh, this man had in fits and starts. It was not something that was more manageable at times and less debilitating than at other times. No, this was this permanent man's condition, as far as he was concerned, this was his fixed condition unless something strange, something extraordinary happened to him. Now look, being a doctor, he uses a technical medical term here. He uses language that is slightly different from Matthew and Mark. And he says that this man was taken with a palsy. And this reveals to us the cause of this man's paralysis. This was not the result of an accident. This was the result of a sickness, of an illness that he had contracted. It is believed that this was a result of some bacterial infection of the nervous system that was very common at that time. It was something that was not curable by doctors nor the medication that was available. Here was a man. He was absolutely dependent upon others, unable to work 
unable to support himself. He would have had a social stigma connected with him, and in some measure he would have been shunned by many of the community. But we see here at least he had four friends. But even they were powerless to do anything about the paralysis that he had. And so this was a serious problem. But this was a case that was not too difficult for the Lord. The Lord specializes in such cases. And sinner, these things are recorded in the Word to give you hope, to show you that no case is too hard for the Lord. Now, as with all our physical sicknesses and illnesses, which the Lord healed, this man's condition pictures some of the problems which sin causes spiritually for the individual. Like the paralyzed man, the sinner, is unable to walk in the spiritual sense. They cannot walk in the ways of God. They cannot walk in fellowship with God, for sin has not only disabled them, but sin has distanced them. You know, in the beginning, when God created Adam, Adam walked in fellowship with God. Adam had communion with God as he walked with the Lord God in the garden in the cool of the day. But when sin entered, all that changed. Adam was disabled. He was stricken with inability to walk with God. But he was also put at a distance. Sin had separated him and his God. And so this man, he sets forth that imagery before us. Here was a man and he could not walk and a sinner cannot walk with God. The rhetorical question is asked in Amos, Amos chapter 3 and the verse 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? You read about men like Enoch and Noah. They walked with God, but sinner, you can't walk with God. You do not walk in His ways nor according to His will. You're opposed to Him. Therefore, when it says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, the answer is no, they can't walk together unless they are agreed. And sinner, in your rebellion, you do not have a walk with God. But this man, not only that, not only could he couldn't walk, this man, he couldn't stand. This man was carried upon a bed. He lacked the strength to stand. And sinners, they lack that which is required to stand before God they lack a perfect righteousness, and they lack the strength, the spiritual strength, by which to attain it and obtain it for themselves. Psalm 1, verse 5. We read that the ungodly shall not stand in judgment. And when the wrath comes, or the Lamb comes, and He exercises His judging wrath upon this earth, the question is asked in the book of the Revelation, who shall be able to stand? And the answer is none who are not in Christ Jesus. If you have not Christ, you'll not be able to stand before God. Sinner, this is your condition. You cannot walk with God, neither can you stand before God. But listen to the words of Romans chapter 5 and the verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died in order to give the sinner that 
with which they would need to stand before God, a perfect righteousness. This man's condition. As I mentioned, it meant that he could not work. There was nothing that he could do to provide that which would sustain his own life. That's the same for you, sinner. There is nothing that you can do which will ever give you eternal life. In and off your sails, just like this man, he couldn't work for that which would give him life, and you cannot work for eternal life. This nameless man was in a serious condition. But Christ was not hindered by the severity of his case. Rather, Christ would be glorified in healing such an individual. Sinner, don't think. Just because you can't walk with God, just because you can't stand before God, and just because you can't do anything by which you can please God, don't think that your case is hopeless because it's not. The great physician, he now is here, the sympathizing Jesus. There is help laid upon one that is mighty. There is one who is mighty to see. The man that was brought. But secondly, we have the meeting that was sought. These men, the four friends and the man himself, believed that there was only one who could help. And the four, they did what they could. They could not heal but they could bring the afflicted to the one who could heal. They could carry the stretcher with cooperation. They did what they could in getting this man to the feet of Christ. And with the gospel mission approaching, surely, children of God, this should resonate with our hearts. We should endeavor to bring sinners to the feet of Christ by united prayer, by inviting to the meetings, by bringing them along. By doing all that we can, sharing a message online, all these things in order to get sinners to have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. These men, they didn't seek an appointment with some sort of palsy specialist. Nor did they want a meeting with a local representative and complain about the waiting list that this man was on. They didn't want a meeting with the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes. No, we read at the end of verse 18 that they sought the means to bring this man in and lay him where? At the feet of Jesus. This is the meeting that they sought. That's who you need to meet, sinner. He's the only one who can do anything for your soul. That's where you need to be. At the feet of Christ. That's where you need to place yourself in the place of reverence, in the place of submission, that you might view his blessed, nail-pierced feet. We sang the words of Alicia Hoffman's great hymn. It was down at the feet of Jesus, where I brought my guilt and sin where he canceled all my transgression and salvation entered in. They sought a meeting with Christ and they sought to get this man to the feet of the Savior. But when they got there, well, they found that they could not enter the house because of the multitude, because of the religious leaders that had crammed into that place. What a number there must have been in that house. There's 70 in the Sanhedrin. 
Add to that all the scribes round about and all the little synagogues dotted here, there, and everywhere in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And there they all had converged upon that house. And I'm sure those men, as they brought that man with the palsy to the house, they probably asked, they probably begged, they probably uh, said to these men, please, can we get in? And yet none of them were willing to help. They had their own agenda. They were intent on finding something on the Lord Jesus Christ. They were men that had no mercy, that had no compassion for this man. And yet, these men were not deterred. They wouldn't be put off. Though they couldn't get into the house by ordinary means, they climbed up onto the roof. And you well know that the architecture of the houses in those days facilitated that, climbing up the steps of the side of the house. And along that rooftop there would have been a balustrade, a protective railing according to Jewish law, Deuteronomy 22, you read that. Beams supporting cross structures, cross beams interwoven with fibrous material and mud, waterproofing the house and of well-to-do, tiling upon the rooftop as was the case here. These were used as extra rooms, spaces, where industry could be carried out, just like in the days of Rahab, who was drying the flax upon the rooftop of her house, or places that could be used for leisure, like David, as he walked on the roof of his palace. And so these men, they went up to the roof, they made calculation of where Christ was below them, and they began to remove the roof covering seeking to get this man to the feet of Jesus. This meeting was imperative. They did not want to miss the Lord Jesus Christ. No, as they pulled away the covering and the dust and the debris began to fall, you can imagine them all in that house below looking up, thinking, what's happening here? But the Lord knew what was happening. And the Lord knew there was a man who needed his help. Sinner, this is a building that has been traditionally called the meeting house. And it's good, yes, we can meet the one with the other. But the reason why it's called the meeting house is not so much that God's people meet the one with the other, but it's a place where God has covenant to meet with us. And that's the meeting you need tonight. You need to meet with the Savior. The meeting that was sought. But thirdly, we have the miracle that was wrought. The miracle that was wrought, look at verse 20 in this chapter. And when he, that's Christ, saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now there's the miracle. Did you miss it? There's the miracle. You may be saying to me, well, the miracle surely comes on down in verse 24. After the Lord Jesus says to the man, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And you might say, well, surely that's the miracle in this account. Well, yes, that's a miracle too, but the greater miracle is what? The forgiveness of sins. 
One definition of a miracle is that which is attributed to the divine agency. Something that is attributed to divine agency, something that God alone can do. Now, the order of the miracles are important here. Christ first deals with the spiritual problem, and then He deals with the physical problem, and that teaches us something very important. You see, the social gospel, well, they would have this the other way around, and so would the flesh. The flesh would have this the other way around. Deal with my physical problem. Deal with my material problem. Deal with my family problem. Deal with my employment problem. And then you can deal with my spiritual problem. But you know what happens? Those things somehow get sorted out or they go past. And all of a sudden the spiritual problem's not as important anymore. And that's what usually happens. But Christ here, He deals with the spiritual problem. And then He deals with the physical problem. The gospel primarily and first and foremost addresses the spiritual need of the sinner. Now that's not to discount the physical and the material and the temporal, but the most important sinner for you tonight is your spiritual and your eternal welfare and well-being. One man, he made this comment. What is the use of all the physical healing in the world? if there be no cure for the disease of sin? What is the use of all the physical and the temporal benefits in this world if the heart is not right with God? Christ Himself said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The forgiveness of your sins is the greatest blessing that you could ever know. And Christ knew exactly what was in this man's heart. Christ knew the thing that was really burdening him. Because as God, he knew everything. I'm sure this man wanted physical healing. But more important to him, he wanted to be released from the burden of his sin. And why do I say that? Well, you listen to how Christ addressed that man And Matthew gives us a little more detail because the Savior says to him, Be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. You see, that's what was getting him down. That's the weight that this man was feeling. The guilt upon his soul had brought him into the slough of despond. And I wonder, am I speaking to someone here tonight? And this is how you feel. The guilt upon your soul, it's wreaking havoc within. It's crushing you. And it's disturbed the false peace that we, you have. There's a restlessness in your soul. Listen to these words. Son or man, be of good cheer. Take heart. Be encouraged. All is not lost. There's a little ray of light, for there is one who can and one who will forgive all your sin. Beyond all argument, the greatest preacher ever was the Lord Jesus Christ. And beyond all argument, the greatest message ever preached 
is the forgiveness of sins. The message that God will forgive you all your sins. If you repent and believe the gospel, Christ came preaching this message. But furthermore, He came to make the sacrifice that would secure the forgiveness of sins for sinners. You see, it's by His work on the cross, that's the basis by which God can forgive you of your sins. Sin must be judged. God in His holiness and His righteousness, He must deal with sin. The penalty for the guilt of sin must be administered. It needs to be paid. But this is what Jesus Christ came to do. He came. He came as a surety. He came as a substitute. He came to take the legal responsibility and fulfill all legal obligation of the sinner. And upon the cross, God poured out His wrath upon His well-beloved Son. God dealt with sin in His Son. And by this, God can now forgive the sin of those who trust in Jesus Christ. Christ has exhausted divine wrath. By this, God remits sin. God sends it away. He puts it away so that sinners may be released from the punishment of their sin. And that, dear friends, is forgiveness. The release from the punishment of sin. What a miracle that is. The forgiveness of sins because we need to remember the miracle that brought that to pass. The eternal Son. Becoming flesh, living a life of sinless and perfect obedience, and going to the cross to be lifted up to die. What a miracle that is! That you and I might know the miracle, the miracle of the forgiveness of sins. Through this man's faith, the forgiveness which Christ would merit in a number of years upon the cross, was applied to this man's soul through faith. This man didn't work for it. No, it was through faith alone that he experienced the forgiveness of sins. That's what we read here. Look at the start of verse 20. And when he, Christ, saw their faith. Whose faith? The four yes. They obviously believed that God could forgive, or the Lord could forgive this man of his sin and make him walk again. But this man, his faith is included. It was through personal faith that the merits of the blood were applied. See, no one is saved by proxy. This man was not saved by proxy. You must come by faith to Christ yourself. Do you hear that? Little child, a young person, you're not saved by proxy. Your parents have faith, but you need to exercise faith. You need to come to Christ. You need to call. You need to trust upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. 
you turn to Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 9. Well, for sake of time, I'll just tell us to hear and look. It's refer- the Lord says, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. But in, in Matthew's account, it's son, son. Do you know that's relational in nature? And a relationship with God can only be founded on the forgiveness of sin. God cannot have fellowship with the one who is yet in their sins. These words here, thy sins are forgiven you. They're in a tense in the Greek which signifies a permanent condition. And we could read it like this here. Your sins are and always will be forgiven. They are permanently dismissed. No wonder this man was told first and foremost to be of good cheer. Is there a better message than this for the troubled sinner? Psalm 32 verse 1. Blessed are all the happinesses of the man, of the man, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The forgiveness of all this man's sin, absolved by the word of Christ, upon the basis of the work of Christ, that's the miracle. The greater miracle in this account. The miracle that was wrought. Fourthly, the murmuring that was thought. The murmuring that was thought, this did not go down well with the religious leaders. They were murmuring within and among themselves, saying, Who is this? Imagine speaking like that about Christ. Who is this? Which speaketh blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God alone? In Christ, he perceived their thoughts. He knew exactly what was in their heart. Now these men, they knew the Old Testament Scripture. They knew passages like Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, where you read of the Lord God who is a God who forgives iniquity, sin, and trespass. They knew of the prophet Micah's testimony concerning the Lord. Micah 7, verse 18, who is a pardoning God like unto thee. They would have been familiar with the writings of Isaiah the prophet. Through him the Lord spoke many, many times about the forgiveness that he alone gives. Think of Isaiah 55 and the verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. They would have known that through the prophet Isaiah the Lord also said that he would blot out their transgressions, that he would cast them behind his back, that he would remember them no more. And so these men knew that the nature of God is that he is a forgiving God. Oh, they knew this. They knew that he is sovereign, that he is a divine forgiver of sinners, and that he alone can forgive sin. See, he is the God who has been offended by our sin. All sins against him. Isn't that why David said in Psalm 51, in his prayer to the Lord against thee, the only have I sinned. 
See, it's God's holy will and it's God's holy law that has been violated, and by reason of that, He is therefore the judge of all the earth and the administrator of His own justice. And therefore, to Him belongs the right to forgive sins, since He is the offended one. And these Pharisees and these doctors of the law, they knew that the prerogative to forgive sins belonged to God alone. And since they didn't believe that Christ was God incarnate, they accused Him of the most severe blasphemy. They believed that this mere man from Nazareth was assuming to himself something that God alone could do. That's why they were questioning within themselves, who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, they were sound in their theology on that point. As I said, no one can forgive sins but God, no priest, no preacher, no prelate, no pope, no parent. No one can forgive sins but God. But while they might have got their theology right, their application of it was entirely wrong, for they accused Christ of blasphemy, and they did not think He was God. The Lord knew what they were thinking. And He addresses their murmurings by putting a question to them. And He says to them, Whether is it easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? Now, either way, these men, they don't answer or they don't have time to answer before the Lord Jesus gives a demonstration of the power that he possesses. And he turns to the man and he says to him, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. Now while the forgiveness of sins is an internal legal transaction and could not be verified by those who were standing around, This is something that could be verified. This is something that they could all confirm with their own eyes when they seen this man rise up and walk. So the Lord addresses the murmurings of their thoughts. And friend, the Lord knows your thoughts tonight. Maybe they are murmuring thoughts. Maybe they are mistrusting thoughts. Maybe they are muddled thoughts. Let me tell you, sinner, Christ is the answer. He's the one who can forgive you of your sin. Why? Because He is God. But because He has secured the means by which sins can be put away. The murmuring that was thought. Finally and quickly tonight, the marvel that was caught. The marvel that was caught, we read here that the man rose up and he departed to his own house glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. Here was a man who had experienced marvelous things and he glorified God. What a way to go home to your house tonight. 
forgiven of your sin, rejoicing, glorifying God in what He has done for you, able to walk with Him. Do you not, do you not desire the forgiveness of all your sin? Do you not desire to rise up out of your sin and to begin your walk with Jesus Christ and to depart and to go to your own home tonight rejoicing and glorifying God. This is something you can experience. Oh, the Word of God says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a marvel that is. You can experience the greatest miracle that any individual can know. The forgiveness of their sin. New life in Christ. A walk with God. This marvel was caught among the people. The crowd, they were amazed, for they had seen marvelous things too, and they glorified God. And they said this here at the end of verse 26, We have seen strange things today. They saw something out of the norm. Oh, that something out of the norm would happen to you tonight, sinner. What do you usually do at the end of a gospel meeting? What's your regular habit? Do you get up? Do you leave? Do you leave in the way in which you come in? Oh, that God would do something strange, something out of the norm, something unusual in your heart tonight, that this day would stick in your memory for the rest of your day. That it wouldn't be just a message, it wouldn't be just a meeting, it wouldn't be just a day that would blur into unmemorable insignificance. But this would be the day marked in your calendar that you knew the forgiveness of sins and that you heard the voice of Christ speak to you, Son, man, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Permanently dismissed. Sent away, always and forever forgiven. Is that not something that your heart craves, that your heart desires, troubled sinner, burdened soul? This was this man's greatest need, and he knew it. He knew it. The forgiveness of his sins. And Christ dealt with that. And then he dealt with his palsy. May the Lord do strange things among us. This night in the gospel mission that it will live long in our memory that he himself will be glorified. Let's bow in prayer and let's look to the Lord. Our gracious God and loving Father, We thank Thee that the divine right prerogative to forgive sins belongs to Thee and Thee alone. And we thank Thee that Jesus Christ, by His death and bloodshedding, has secured the basis on which our sins, all of them, can be forgiven. 
Lord, I pray tonight for sinners. And they're maybe under a cloud of despondency. They're troubled. Lord, do something out of the norm tonight. They come, they go. It's their habit. It's become their routine. But let this night live long in the memory when, Lord, you save them by thy grace. Salvation is off the Lord. This man, he departed, he glorified thee. But those standing round, they also glorified. Lord, we as thy people, we long to enter into the joy of seeing souls forgiven, of seeing them washed in the Redeemer's blood, beginning their walk with thee, knowing what it is, knowing what it is to be born again of the Spirit of God, do thine own work. Lord, we pray now that thou would part us with thy blessing. May the word of God speak on, and may sinners avail of the opportunity and the invitation that's always extended to seek out further counsel. We pray that you would grant us. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love and the fellowship of God and the Holy Spirit be our portion this night and forevermore until the daybreak and all the shadows of this life will flee away and we find ourselves in the great eternal day at the feet of our blessed Savior. Glorify thy Son. For this we ask in Jesus' precious and his lovely name. Amen.